Welcome to the X-Men Task Podcast. My name is Sonia Rappaport. My name is Willie Simpson. Today we've got episode 60, which is episode 13 of season 4, The Lotus and the Steel. Ooh. <laughs> Here we have a, a Wolverine episode. A so c- classic Wolverine episode. Yeah. All you Wolverine lovers out there, <laughs> get ready. <laughs> Wolverine in Japan. Yeah. No less. Right. Um, yeah, so this is a... I think this is a really good classic episode. Um, it introduces fans of the show more of Wolverine's Japanese samurai past, which we got hints of, I think, in the beginning of season three, where you meet his uh, ex-girlfriend, Lady Deathstrike. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they've, they've talked about it before, his ninja past and things of that nature. But... I always like these Japanese past storylines for our superheroes. Wolverine, Batman, <laughs> the karate kids, Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> you like traveling to Japan and learning about uh, being a samurai and yeah, things of that nature? basically I do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the best episodes of the Batman animated series is when the two episodes where you, he talks about his ninja past. Yeah, that's cool. When he's training as a younger man in Japan mm-hmm. uh, to be the ultimate uh, karate master. Right. Uh, yeah, those are definitely my two favorite episodes of the Batman animated series. But yeah, here Wolverine, uh, you know, his Japanese, I wouldn't say roots, but his, the the origins of his Japanese tales, I think they're credited to Frank Miller and Chris Claremont, mm-hmm. who teamed up and, and explored the, the concept of what if Wolverine was a samurai. Yeah. Or something to that nature. There's these, you know, those classic issues from the, the early 80s. Um, I mean, we've just spoken about how it's kind of a common trope at this point, I, but, like, I wonder why. Well, it, I mean, like, a, a lot of it... Because it's like, if you're going to do a, a tie-in, right, where, like, your superhero goes to the source of their training in, like, some other place that they're not from, it's like, you could almost choose anywhere, you know? They could be learning, like, Taekwondo in Korea, or, <laughs> like, I don't know... Jiu-jitsu in Brazil, or that's mm-hmm. not originally Brazilian, I guess, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though. Yeah. There's like fighting styles from like all around the world, right? Like all across like Africa and Asia, and like I don't know, Japan is just like the magnet for our superheroes. Well, to, to go learn, I think a lot of it has to do with the 1980s and pop culture. Yeah, and uh, uh, there's you know the Japanese culture. Uh, rose in prominence in uh, in that era, as in a lot of American media, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's not like the full explanation. But that's partially has to do with it. Mm-hmm. There's more interest of, in the Western world for things like uh, you know karate and uh, Asian culture. And do you think that was because of the tech boom? Like, I think Japan was, was manufacturing a lot of like really cool technology that <laughs> like was coming. Nintendo and Sony and things. Yeah, you know. Like, I think a lot of it had. It. I think that was part of it, mm-hmm. at least on the fun side. I think there was. I just think there was increased Western interest in uh, far Eastern cultures. That you know. I'm not disagreeing. Yeah. I'm wondering like what's the root of that? Well, I mean the root. I mean, if you want to get historical about it, it's it's the the story of the 20th century with. Uh, you know, post World War II uh, prosperity, yeah, and uh, the way culture evolved in the 20th century, where you you have more 
uh, air travel, mm-hmm. uh, a lot more interest in international tourism, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot more book, uh, you know, a lot in the Western side of it, there's a lot of the post 60s, post 70s, a lot of uh, a quest uh, amongst that generation for inner peace and, and meaning. Right. And people look to Eastern influences, whether it was, you know, like Southeast the Asian. ashrams in India. Right, yeah, yoga, you know, yeah. meditation. The Beatles went to India in the 60s kind of thing. And, right. And so I just think, like, there's a lot of those confluence of things that led to uh, a greater awareness and connection between these cultures. This is, like, pretty far off topic at yeah. this point. Well, but I, like, I just heard about the, like... That ashram that the Beatles went to in uh-huh. India, in like northern India, apparently it was built illegally on state land. Ooh. And so. The Maharishi. It, yeah. So, like, I guess, like, some government officials realized and were like, oh, sorry, you have to, like, abandon this establishment because, like, this is state land. And, you know, they were like, oh, sorry. And they just, like, evacuated. But the building still stands and it's, like, apparently exactly as like the Beatles themselves left it oh, like cool. with like murals and all the textiles and like mm-hmm. all their stuff is still there so it's like is it like a tourist destination yeah yeah oh. you can like go visit it oh that's very awesome yeah uh yeah, I would like to visit that maybe one day as a big Beatles fan. Yeah, I know. I mean, not really. Well, that's why I told you. <laughs> I got to get to England first. What you really want is, like, the virtual tour, I guess. Yeah, but. yeah. Um, but that's that's cool. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean... Anyway. You know, and then the, the, the debate can be had how much it is is the Western, uh, you know, media machines and, and tourism machines, how much are they, what's the right word, exploiting... Or, you know, like fetishizing things versus like truly paying uh, homage to certain practices and cultures. I say it's all a good thing, especially when it airs on the side of like, uh, you know, meditation, uh, you know, Buddhism and and, you know, even stuff like, you know, karate, which is a form of. Uh, exercise essentially self defense and mm. so it's and that's like and you know technology and stuff like video games and uh, like it's all good stuff to me it's not you can't just say uh it's some kind of cultural that's like the big pro- conversation now right is like appropriation versus appreciation yeah so I, that's good that that conversation is happening yeah it's good that the conversation is happening but i i also don't think it's i i th- I, I don't think i don't i think we should be celebrating uh, the things that that we could uh, mutually appreciate about each other's cult- cultures, instead of necessarily policing yeah. how we celebrate them. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's lines that one could cross, mm. but really, you know, I th- I think most of it is harmless and good. You know, it- it's good to learn about Buddhism. It's good to learn about karate. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. So yeah. it- it's good to travel to different cultures and learn about different cultures. And right. Well, anyway, that brings us back to yeah. These episodes are, are really cool. Yeah. When so, Wolverine goes to honestly, Japan, yeah. really cool. Yeah, and honestly, like <laughs> the episode touches on a lot of the themes we just talked about. It opens in a classic Professor X therapy session. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> we get more of a taste of Professor X's uh, controversial therapy style. He's just randomly asking Wolverine about the worst things in his life. What's bothering you? Yeah. Is it the fact uh, uh, that... Um, you got like your brain was twisted in half by Proteus a few months ago. Uh, no, he said he got over that. 
uh, is it the fact that uh, you're you know you uh, you had Weapon X like traumatic brainwashing and fake memories? Right. He's like, well, you know, Wolverine's like some some memories that are fake are still good. <laughs> <laughs> he says something like that. Right. Well, because he flashes back to uh, what's her name? Silver Fox. Yeah, Silver Fox. Yeah, another yeah. one of his tragic romances. Yeah. Right. Where uh, he's like, some of that must have been real Fox. Yeah. You know? And she's like, whatever. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's like, is it because you're unrequited love for Jean Grey yeah. and to that he actually doesn't answer he, right. that still bothers him um, so in short yes that yeah. is part of it and then he's like you know when I joined the X-Men I was a real berserk animal but the X-Men gave me a purpose which allowed me to you know collect myself and get in touch with my humanity or something mm-hmm. but now that purpose is gone and I don't know what to live for and he describes an incident where he, he had, earlier in the day where he had insane road rage where a teenager cut him off and he he makes the guy like pull over and he rips his car door off at the handle and he then like is ready to kill the guy pops his claws and then jubilee tries to stop him who's with him at the time mm. and he says he almost hurt jubilee in the incident mm. And, uh, and then he's like, well, he's like, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know what's wrong with me because I didn't care at that moment anymore. It's like I'm becoming a berserk animal again. I don't have a reason to live. Which doesn't make sense because... If well, it doesn't saying... make sense that he doesn't get arrested and <laughs> yes. he doesn't go to jail. <laughs> that I mean, doesn't like, make sense. He really crossed the line there. Like, why is he allowed to walk free from that? But also, why has his sense of purpose slipped away from him? He's still part of the X-Men. He's mm-hmm. still part of the team that's supporting him. And you would think that if that gave him purpose, that well, think... there would be a level of maintenance. I think the episode goes goes into it I, I, and it, there's some themes that talk about I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he lives forever right and he just he has a uniquely different life than a normal person where he's he you know almost forever remains a 40 year old man in peak physical condition uh, who cannot be harmed he can be put in tremendous pain mm-hmm. and made to suffer and be tormented but at the same time he uh, he can't age and a lot of his friends die. A lot of he sees a lot of tragedy, a lot of war That's true. that he lives through, and he it's hard to process that. It's like it's too much living as a human. It probably makes you go crazy. It's hard to even think about those uh, moments, right? Like if he's being tortured, I feel like for for a regular human, like a regular mortal, right? Yeah. Like part of the reason that that torture is so horrible is because there's this distinct possibility that the more you suffer the closer you are to death and everyone has almost everyone anyway has this like innate fear of death right right? whereas for him no matter how much he suffers he will never die so even if it's uncomfortable in the moment with his zen training and stuff yeah you almost feel like he could just push through it and be like this this is temporary yeah you know Right, and he to extent he has that ability to yeah. to weather like insane psychological torment, but uh, I you know I I wouldn't say that he he'll never die. I think I think Wolverine doesn't think he's invincible. I think Wolverine knows that he could die, or that he's going to die one day eventually. Mm-hmm. It, the, the difference is how long is he going to live? Is he going to live to like the year two hundred, three hundred, five hundred, a thousand? Yeah, I think. That is something that plagues him to an extent, mm-hmm. um, and you know those themes too are explored in the the movie Logan and the Old Man Logan comic books as well. His death, the end of the road for him, kind of storylines. Yeah, this is more of like the midlife cri- crisis Logan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, I, he de- I don't think he has a fear of death. I think he 
he has a longing for death at a certain points because mm. he just he's tired of living. Yeah, and that's a theme that's uh, touched on in the Wolverine movie, which is I guess Wolverine Two, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about one day, and that is very much related to this episode in many ways. Yeah. Um. So it's interesting. I mean, he's an interesting character. He really is a uniquely great uh, uh, comic book character, and there's a lot of uh, meat on the bone to explore. So, uh, so let's carry on here. So he, so instead of Professor X like helping him in any way, uh, Wolverine prescribes himself his own cure. He's like, I'm going to go back to Japan where I've been before. I'm going to like meditate and just get away from it all. I'm quitting the X Men. Right. It seems like a pretty good idea to (laughs) me. Yeah, he's really self-aware. He's like, listen, like I need, I've lost my purpose. I'm, I'm too dangerous right now, uh, and I'm just gonna go on a vacation and a getaway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, despite him being sort of out of control and crazy, he does like we've talked about before. He has a lot of intelligence, a lot of emotional intelligence, a lot of self-awareness, and he knows what to do. Professor X. I mean, I guess maybe you could say that Professor X helped him realize that. Yeah. But really, he doesn't say it. So Wolverine prescribes it for it himself. There. Yeah. Um, before he leaves, he packs his bags. He gives one last look in the mirror. Uh, he's still sort of tripping balls. Uh, <laughs> you know, I guess he's in like a deep depression. So he's yeah. in like a deep, deep depression because he's hallucinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he sees Nightcrawler in the window, remind him of looking for like sort of inner peace through mm-hmm. religion. More or less allusions to that we saw in the Nightcrawler episode. But then Nightcrawler morphs into Sabretooth. Yeah. Which Wolverine slashes the, his own mirror. Right. And uh, shards of glass on everywhere, the floor right as Jubilee like, walks in. Yeah. And she doesn't seem to mind, but Jubilee, you know. It's and the, she's like, why are you leaving after she sees like all this shattered glass? Yeah. You know, I was like, well. Yeah. And he has to explain to her he's place. a danger to the, to the. He's not fit to be an X Man. Yeah. Um, so he heads off to Japan. Uh, he It looks like he books a commercial flight, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting in contrast to how Jubilee eventually gets to Japan later in this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so um, he ends up in Japan. He meets, he's got some old friends there. One is an old monk master, a Buddhist uh, master, presumably. Uh, they're rebuilding their temple with you know some like ancient building construction techniques. Mm-hmm. And Wolverine, uh, like many of the X Men, we learned the show. If anything, they're good at construction. So he's uh, there to lend a hand. There's like a huge wooden beam that's falling down. He helps lift it. Uh, He's good at, like, cutting trees down in the forest with his claws and, uh, you know, laying out gravel. and Yeah. There's something to be said for that. Yeah. That well, type of work can be really meditative and, they, it, like, makes you physically tired at yeah. the end of the day you sleep. And they outright say, the monk tells him, he says, rebuilding this temple will help rebuild your soul. Yeah. Right. There's a lot to the fact, like, do a nice project and, uh, you know, it's like, good for hard, the soul. Right. Like, take your mind off things. Right. There's and, a clear goal in mind. Yeah. And you could be proud of it. Right. You know, it makes you th- I was I was reading about the ancient Egyptians and uh you know, there's a lot of myths about ancient Egypt which, you know, not too revelatory, but basically the fact that the people who built the pyramids were not slaves. Uh they were paid experts, mm. craftsmen, and you worked on one it would take like twenty years to build a pyramid and yeah. you worked on it most of your life mm-hmm. and you slept outside the you worked in like three month shifts and while you're working there you slept outside the pyramid uh, you know, you drank beer at night. Uh, like I said, you got paid for it. They they took a lot of pride in their work. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's like, that sounds like actually a, a pretty good, I mean, it must have been grueling to build a pyramid. Yeah. But at the same time... Especially they, if you had the summer shift, you know. Right. Yeah. But like, <laughs> um, you took a lot of pride in it. And by the end of the day, you have a 
a freaking world wonder completed, and it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like that kind of stuff is it's rewarding to to be involved in a project like that. So, uh, anyway, and then we see scenes of Wolverine. He's meditating. He's wearing his karate gi. Uh, he goes to the local village. He meets some local villagers, and he meets a beautiful woman named Kasara. And, uh, you of know... Course. She, of course, there's a love interest. Right, yeah. And uh, she's got a wild brother who he's learning karate himself, and he's really outraged because the town is under constant threat from uh, an extortion racket. Mm. Uh, as Wolverine later comments, the old protection racket, samurai style. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. And it's like your classic, like, seven samurai plot, Karate Kid 2, Three Amigos where this little defenseless village filled of farmers and fishermen are under threat from a roving lawless gang that demands uh, payment money each month, and the money is more than the town can afford, and uh, they can't take it anymore. And at first, Wolverine, the twist here is that Wolverine is like, I, I just don't want to get involved. You know, I, I'm here for peace, not for violence. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously I could easily take care of this myself, but, you know, that... I, I'm trying to learn a lesson here. Um, and the the brother guy calls Wolverine a coward, and he just accepts it and walks away. Um, meanwhile, Jubilee is still torn up the, about the fact that Wolverine left. You know, I think, like, she took his leaving too literally when he's like, I'm not fit to be an X-Man. She's like, oh, no, he quit forever. Right. I better and she get felt like back. it was kind of her fault. Right, yeah. For some reason. Yeah, she Because t- she was there with in the, the car altercation with him. She or? just wants him to feel like he's family and that he's needed and that she needs him. Yeah. So she, again, steals one of those little mini X-Jets. Right. And starts a careening trans-Pacific international flight by herself. To Japan, where you see her fly like dipsy doodling, like uh, you know, nearly crashing into the ocean. Ah, she makes it. She, uh, yeah, I know, but still, so di- yeah, she's fifteen. <laughs> uh, so she's off to to find Wolverine. Um, the meanwhile, Wolverine's chopping down trees in the forest, and the Silver Samurai introduces himself, and he's one of these uh, you know minor Wolverine villains from the comics. Uh, who wears a big, shiny, metallic suit, presumably made of silver. I know in the movie it was made of adamantium. Mm. I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case in the comics, at least originally. I think it's just some, like... It's like like some technological metallic suit that's got special abilities and stuff. And the Silver Samurai also has, like, a magic teleportation ring that he gets somehow. Mm Mm-hmm. And he can teleport, and he's got sort of like magic swords, kind of. Or they're, I don't know if they're magic or if they've just got weird energy blade powers to them. So at first, it's kind of a funny confrontation because Silver Samurai is like, "Oh, you're a mutant. You're I'm going to threaten you." Mm-hmm. And Wolverine's like, "I'm not a threat to you. I don't care. Do whatever you want." Yeah. He's like, "All right, <laughs> very well. Goodbye." And he teleports <laughs> away. <laughs> and um, but you know, it becomes obvious to Wolverine that he needs to get involved because. The, uh, the Silver Samurai's gang burns down the temple that he's helping to build. Wolverine has to go in the temple while it's, like, totally... Uh, in flames. In fl- engrossed in flames. And it's actually a really cool animation. It's, yeah. like, completely red. It looks like he, Wolverine himself was probably being burned alive as he runs in there. Actually, we talk about the animation from time to time with this show as if we know anything about anim- animation, really. Right. But I I was really appreciating the animation in this one. It's very watercolory. Yeah, it's a good uh, episode. Really beautiful. There's a lot of, like, 
gorgeous uh, sunrises and sunsets with colors painted all over the place. It's really nice. I agree. Uh, it's a good. It's it's a very uh, one of the better looking episodes. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I really particularly sitting at this fire scene is really cool. He runs in there. He rescues his uh, his master friend. I think Oku, uh-huh. Master Oku. Yeah. Uh, and so and at this point, Wolverine's like. They explain the town's problems are explained to him again, and he's like, "It never ends," and you get the sense that like <laughs> he's he, still like life weary. Like. Yeah, well, he's conquered evil so many times. He's on on lo- small scales and huge scales. You know, uh-huh. he's fought in World War Two. He saved the universe with the X Men. You know, he's stopped a bunch of local thugs before. You know, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Like small, medium, and large scale evil, he has fought back, and he's just looking for like some utopia. To well, retire to and live out his days, and he can't find it. Maintaining the balance of good and evil is like having a meditation Right, and the monk practice, explains right? that to him, because like, he's like, I just want to be peaceful like you, I don't want to fight anymore. Yeah. He's like, well, maybe your purpose is to to be a protector. Yeah. And he has to sort of like live with that. it's an ongoing practice is the point. Right. Yeah. So, uh, meanwhile, just like in Three Amigos, Karate Kid 2, and Seven Samurai, more famously, the town prepares all these traps for the invading... Uh, gangsters. So, yeah, gangsters. Uh, really elaborate traps. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, enormous ditches in the road. They, uh, they bust open a dam with a tremendous amount of water that floods the canal that they've dug. They have, like, fish and nets that fall on people. Uh, really, they seem like they'd be taking care of themselves pretty well. Seems like such a waste of fish. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. But, you know, you're defending your village. This <laughs> is a, This is a long shot, yeah. Yeah, all right. Um, but, like I said, like, they don't really need Wolverine's help that much. He intervenes a few times. He saves his master's life. Some gang members are about to shoot him, and he just jumps out of the woods and cuts their guns up and throws them away. Uh, so that, he helped them there. And then he really uh, only, the, the the brother of Kasara, he manages to take out the lead gang member, beats him up, and, uh, but then the Silver Samurai comes, and that's where Wolverine has to intervene, because yeah. obviously the town can't it's handle it. It's not a fair match. Right, but Wolverine dispatches him like it's nothing. Right. He learns quickly, because the guy can teleport, he learns quickly, I'll just, uh, you know, jump to where he... He likes to attack from behind, so, so I'll, I'll just jump backwards and then I'll get him. Yeah, and it worked on the first try. Yeah, and it was cool. <laughs> I, and Wolverine, obviously, but you know what? Like that's not to me. That's well earned because yeah, Wolverine yeah. is like amazing at fighting. So you know, no complaints. He can it's beat cool. up literally nearly anybody. Uh, I just was the Silver Samurai supposed to be a bigger threat than that? That's the only thing I'm wondering. I think. I mean, you see in the in the movie, he's. You know, even in the movie, Wolverine kind of, like, beats him in five minutes. You know? Yeah. Even though it looks true. like he's a threat, he cuts his claws off and things like that. Right. Uh, I think, like, he's more of a... He's more of a mustache-twirling villain in the comics. He obviously has alliances with other strange villains. Mm. And he's up to no good in the Japanese underworld. And he's probably more of a threat. Like, an elongated threat. But in the, the purposes of this one episode, Wolverine just kicks his butt. Yeah. And it's kind of stupidly, I thought... Where, when Wolverine beats him up, uh, he says, We don't have to worry about him bothering this village anymore. Okay. And then he says, Or any other village ever again. And it's like, Really? <laughs> Are you going to enforce that one? Yeah, he, Wolverine just promises the town that the threat. Because the, the Silver Samurai is not like dead or anything. He just sadly walks away. Yeah. He's with his armor and all his magical weapons and stuff. So, so what's the overarching lesson there? Because at first, when Wolverine arrives in this village, he's like, I'm not getting involved in this village's affairs. I'm here right. for peace and to find myself. And then by the end, he gets very involved in this village's 
his affairs <laughs> for the good of the village. He saves them, but like I almost had this feeling at the beginning of the episode that it was like teach a man to fish. What's right. the saying? Yeah. Te- well, it's Give like, a man a fish, he, he eats, eats for, for a day. day. Teach him the fish he can eat for the rest of his so life. So I thought it was kind of like, all right, if I fight this one battle for them, then it doesn't set them up for success for the, the rest of the longevity of the village, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. But maybe that wasn't it so much. I don't think... Th- I think you're right. The lesson itself is murky because the village didn't really seem to need him that much. Right. And also his intervening while useful, it doesn't... It doesn't, like, speak to... It doesn't connect to some broader theme. Mm. I think the purpose of the episode is more just about exploration of his psyche and Mm. his search for peace than it is about, like, what lesson we're to learn uh, as far as him fitting into a a little society like this village. Yeah. So, uh, and they've done this episode before, too, where he's in the Inuit village in in Canada, and he's fighting Sabretooth, and it's, like, the same thing. Like, he's accepted into this village, and then Sabretooth, like, destroys it. Right, and he has but to... there it's more like tragic. I thought, right? Because yeah. there it's like he's the one that draws Sabretooth into the village. The village would have been fine if Wolverine right. had never. Right, it's shown all up. about trouble following him. In exactly. this case, it's like the village. The had trouble its own was going to be there no matter what, and he just right. happened to be there to help out. Like I said, I think it's more about the theme of the fact that he lives forever, and he's always ha- he can't like rest. Mm. He always has to be fighting, no matter no matter what. Like, there's no... He, he's always called to action. Yeah. He's just tired of it. Yeah, yeah, So I think that's one of the main themes. Um, I don't know. If, if you see a broader theme here, let us know. On <laughs> <laughs> the X-Task Facebook group. No, I don't know. I was just thinking about No, yeah, it. I don't know. I'm not sure either. I, like I said, I think it's murky more than anything. I guess also at the beginning, when he's talking to Professor X, he feels like he's lost his purpose and right. stuff like that. Yeah, so it's very maybe it's about like rediscovering that his purpose is to like continue fighting the good fight. Yeah. That, and yeah, it is. It's about right. finding... Yeah, it's about... Finding a purpose, a reason to live. And, you know, at the end of the episode, he, he makes out with the Kisara, the woman. Right. So, and again, it's too, it's about teaching him that love's still out there, that meeting new people, you know, like getting a new adventures and experiences is always restorative. Right. So, uh, I guess he hasn't gotten tired of kissing ladies yet. <laughs> uh, which you think might could, ha- you know, could happen over hundreds of years. Uh-huh. And you're like, all right, I'm tired of romance. What's the point? Um uh, but and then the episode ends where they have to rebuild the temple again. There's more construction, like many X Men episodes, end with a, a construction job. <laughs> right, they leave destruction in their path, and, and right, then but, everyone has to. We see the restoration them and effort. Move on. Yeah. yeah, and Wolverine's like, I can't help rebuild the temple. I've already rebuilt it once this episode. I'm not doing it again. I have to go home and be an X Man. Yeah. But then again, why does he have to go home? I mean, I get that he's discovered his purpose, that he has to help people. But he's got you know this nice Kasara woman there. The village seems safe now. Yeah. It was a small little problem that he helped fix why is he leaving immediately maybe he feels like he fixed it and there's bigger, not much more good to be done I guess he knows there's there. bigger fish to fry with the X-Men yeah. that he, he's needed there um, and then Jubilee leaves with him and she's kind of annoying in the end like asking him a million questions but he likes Jubilee you know oh classic Wolverine trope is that he has a like a teenage girl mascot around him that <laughs> takes to him be it Kitty Pride. Uh, or Jubilee. I think there's one or two other. Like in the more modern Rogue comic. Rogue in the, in the movies. Right, yeah. Rogue in the movies is this character named Armor in the more modern cartoons. Uh, he always has like a female apprentice. I, and then also like I guess his semi-daughter, X-23, his clone self-daughter is mm-hmm. another one in the movies. So that's like a classic theme of Wolverine. Right. Um, he's well, like, it's like, he's the, like a father figure for these mutant outcasts. Exactly, girls. there needs to be like a soft side to him, right? And it's good. It's like yeah. it's a nice. I think it's a nice trope. It's like if he's gonna have a sidekick, it's it's nice that it's a spunky, 
it's a spunky teenage girl. Yeah. And there's, it's not really sexual, so it's like, you know, there's no weird side to it like right. that. It's more protective. Yeah. Um, and he's like, you know, he's, he really does have a heart of gold, despite him having a berserker rage side. Mm-hmm. So, um, in the end, uh, I thought it was a very well animated episode, like yourself. I thought... <laughs> I just think I'm a little an- animated episode. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's like it's another like nice pastiche episode where they give you they they explore some themes that you wouldn't otherwise think you'd get from your standard animated sh- children's show. Mm-hmm. You're getting into the psyche of a real specific character who's on the one hand really awesome and cool, but you're seeing the complex human side of him. Yeah. And it introdu- it introduces children to those themes and also to the world of comics more. You get a broader sense um, you see, like how wonderful Marvel is, is with their endless stories and their complex humanism and right. stuff. I think in definitely in past episodes, actually, when we've spoken about uh, our favorite characters and their moments and stuff, I, like I know I uh, kind of <laughs> came down hard on Wolverine and was yeah. like, "Well, he's not my favorite." When really, the only reason I th- I think that is because he's like a fan favorite. Yeah. It's like. You know, for me personally, it's like, yeah, everybody loves him already. He gets enough. Yeah. So, like, let me turn my attention elsewhere, you know? When really, like, he's given great storylines. Yeah. And... He's deserving. He It's yeah. earned. I, because He's given great storylines. He's a great character. So, it's like, on the one hand, there is the overkill aspect of him that he's too much front and center. But on the other side of it, on the other like, hand, you're like, all right, it's deserved. The reason it exists is because they mine so much great material and yeah. they built up the popularity. Right. You know, part of the the cartoon exists in the in the the continuum of his rise in popularity in general as yep. a pop culture figure. Yeah. So uh, uh, it's interesting. I, I mean, I still think I think the movies, the biggest success of the movies has been also translating Wolverine's star power. To that broad mass audience as well too, mm-hmm. if they've done anything, I think they failed presenting the X Men as a concept as a team. You know, in many ways, yeah, they haven't gotten that correct, but they have gotten with Hugh Jackman's performance. They've gotten Wolverine mostly pretty good, right? And well, that's it, why there's a whole run of Wolverine movies, right? And they'll continue to be at some yeah, point, right. and uh, so um, yeah. So I think like Wolverine is deserving, and I, I do think that you know, even though he's been done to death, I do think there's more. At least talking about it in a movie side, I think there's more to be done with Wolverine that hasn't been shown yet. I think the one aspect that they could explore, I've said it before in the podcast, but let's see Wolverine more as a side character in the X-Men. Mm-hmm. And this this presumes that you're getting a better written X-Men movie where the characters are given more of a better do mm-hmm. than they are. Like, put Wolverine in as proper starring it's a side role, but it's a starring side role. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how he was introduced in the comics. He's just this great, awesome wildcard guy on the side that you love, you know? Yeah. Like, put him in his place more there instead of making him the leader of the team or the center of the focus. Have him be this, like, bubbling force on the side of the screen. And that's really cool, I think. I think there's a, there's a place for that. Mm-hmm. And then it's like from there, from that side view, then you... You, on his own movies or spinoffs, you you see him, you follow him more. Whether he joins the Avengers and Adventures or you know another spinoff crossover movies, things of that nature. I think there's 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 a side there's a side to Wolverine. There's a characterization that exists that hasn't been done yet. I think Hugh Jackman did a very good starring man role in like every man performance of mm-hmm. him, where it's almost like Wolverine is like a sane guy in, in this crazy world, and you're following the story through his eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there's like a, a version to be written where Wolverine's like crazier 
and a bit more like like they talk about in this episode. He's like a he's got this berserker origin, you mm-hmm. know, this wild animal that needs to be tamed. That needs to be he needs to find his humanity. Mm. And I think, uh, and, he, and he's more of a mutant, you know what I mean? More of like a, a fierce like creature. And I think, and a creature finding his humanity, you know, or reclaiming his humanity. I think that story can be explored more in a movie. I think that'd be interesting. Okay. So, I don't know. I'm just saying that. I think like, even though... You just though, said that you thought there was a place for him to be like sidelined, though. And that sounds like a more starring role. No, I'm saying activity. that's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying you, you put him on the side... And that's the you know I, any character on the side is given some kind of presentation and backstory, so he's on the side, but it's like from a different perspective. Okay. You know, and like I said, the perspective is less like he is the leading man, and more like who's this strange side character, and then because you know Wolverine's a big star anyway, you eventually get to exploring it, but just from a different perspective. Okay. That might be confusing to follow, but the, you know, I, I, I just I just was thinking like we haven't had in the X Men cartoon so far we we haven't had like an overwhelming number of wolverine focused episodes so you don't really i think there's been plenty yeah but there's also plenty where he's not in it yeah at all, that's true or I, he is kind of on the side and that's what i like about it yeah exactly yeah. it feels more well-rounded versus Honestly, in a lot of these x-men movies he's just front and center I, like the whole time you know what you, know? you just explained it so much better that's what i'm saying do yeah. it like the x-men cartoon yeah right he, he's a side character in some episodes he's witty and has witty banter sometimes and makes amusing observations while he fights really coolly yeah and then there's other episodes where he's kind of the star and you explore his backstory right and and it's like a nice tapestry so yeah. that, that's the way that's much more concise way of explaining it than <laughs> yeah just follow the X-Men cartoon you'll be in good shape and it's what they you know to an extent it's what they did in the comics for years I think you know he obviously took more of a starring role too as the decades went on as well in the comics but the original comics he was it was like that as well you know you know I wish that that's how the movies just played out I wish that like whoever was going to make X-Men movies from the very first just went to the X-Men tests well, they did. And, like, yeah, but I wish they had chosen, like, all right, the first however many, what are these, 20 minutes long? Yeah. So you take six of them, and that's your first movie. And then, like, the next six, or however the story arcs You just, work, like, right? directly like, steal the plots from the cartoon from season one. beat for beat. Oh, my God. Like a, a, live, a live adaptation of the X-Men animated series. Yes, with special effects and movie stars and well, stuff. Well, I that mean... That would be great. You know what? It, in a it, it would be great. Like, I've had that theory, and that is nothing to do with the X. I've had this theory where I feel like in 500 years, someone's going to go back into The Simpsons and, and do a, a beat-for-beat live-action uh, version of The Simpsons. Of in each 500 episode. years? I don't know. Just some, because I don't think it's feasible <laughs> to do it. It's not feasible to do it now. I don't think the storylines are going to hold up. I, th- I know, but that's what I'm saying. It's like an art project. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's like you take like an animated show and you make it... It's like a direct adaptation, live adaptation, but it's exactly like the cartoon. Yeah. Shot for shot, line for line. Okay. You know what I mean? It, almost like an art project of yeah. just recreating it in re- in reality. Uh-huh. So, like I said, I've had that thought. Like, I feel like The Simpsons, it, you can't... You couldn't do that today. No. It's too crazy. But I feel like one day when it's, it would be easier to do... Because the reason I said 500 years is, like, production costs being what they were. First of all, it'd be a, it's an absurd idea. Yes. But it's like, in 500 years, people will be able to create this shit in a computer, you know, with, like, CGI humans that look like human beings. Right. You know what I'm saying? Not really. 
I know. I'm just saying it's like when the production cost has to be at a point where you could just do it in a computer where you don't have to like hire a, like an enormous like pay actors. Yeah, pay actors 100 millions of dollars on production and sets and building sets cuz that's what I'm saying. The Simpsons they, they go from like China to India to Springfield like in 10 seconds. You can't have that in a live action. Okay. In a 22 minute thing, you know what I mean? There's too much crazy shit happening because it's a cartoon. A cartoon can go into outer space. Yeah, I understand. You know, I'm right. just saying, why would anyone remake The Simpsons ever? Because I was just because I think it's like an art project. That I'm not saying they would do it commercially. All right. I'm, that's what I'm saying. In like 500 years, when you could recreate it as as a crazy art project. Uh huh. Um, this is just a bizarre theory I've had. So I'm saying that reminds me that what you said about the X Men is similar. Oh, okay. it's like you're taking. No, I didn't mean shot for shot. Right. Beat for beat. I know. I just yeah. meant like, like, and a lot of the X Men cartoons are like already set up like that, right? Like, there's there's these like three parters or five parters or whatever. They're yeah. an all encompassing story, almost movie length. Right, and like then there are you know your standalone episodes. There's, there'll be a run of them yeah. in between those like more contained storylines. So just like use it, you know, like it, the work has already been done for you. Just they, make it more well, spectacular. But honestly, for the big screen. but you just described what the cartoon was in relation to the comics. They took the comics, they summarized them in a way that was like palatable and made sense for a cartoon format. Yeah, and they paid like proper homage to the comic books yeah, yeah, yeah. and captured the spirit and tone perfectly and adapted it to their ends. Yeah. Uh, they don't need to look to the cartoon to do that for the movies. They just need to look to the comics in a more accurate way. Like, yeah, that's okay, really... fine. So look to the comics. Yeah, I'm just I know. Saying, that's like, the for problem. For a movie maker that's not a diehard X-Men fan, which is like stupid to hire someone who's not a diehard X-Men fan. But anyways, yeah. like, well, that's... those people are not going to go back to the comics because that's such like an endless source of material. It's so much to come well, that's, through. That's, you're Whereas, right. Whereas like... The, the cartoon is finite. Brian like, Singer... We are watching every episode without much trouble, so... Right. Brian Singer... In his, yeah, but Brian He never Singer, read an X-Men comic. Yeah, I know, I know. We talk about it all I know. the time. But, but I'm like, just saying, so he did the, the lazy man way, sort of what you're suggesting. He just watched the cartoon to get an idea of what the X-Men were, that was it. Yeah, but he just Kevin, had an idea of what it was. Right, but... He Ke- didn't, like, use it to its full potential. It, yeah, but that's... Exactly, he was lazy. Yeah. Kevin Feige, when... Theoretically, when he takes over the X-Men franchise, when the Disney Fox sale goes through, he's an actual comic book nerd he's gonna go to the comics and make it right like he's made the avengers right and captain america right you know okay he he's a guy he's a freaking expert yeah like he's you know that's why he's worshipped in comic communities because he like knows he understands the source material in a beautiful way and can translate it to a film so that's why everyone's like hopeful about the Disney purchase of X Men. I know. I feel like we talk about that. Like, we do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's We're it, always like fingers crossed. But, it's gonna, like, but he will, and it's going to be awesome. I, yeah. I really have faith that they're going to Kevin Feige when he gets his hands on the X Men, he's not going to fuck it up. You know, and and I think like him, like many Marvel fans, is like through the cracks and corners of interviews he's read, like he understands what the X Men are in the Marvel universe and how important they are. Yeah. And the X Men was that he worked on the first X Men movie too as a creative consultant. So. And the X-Men movie's not bad. It's not a bad adaptation. Mm-hmm. Could be better, as we've discussed many times. Mm-hmm. So I think I think we're headed towards that reality, that the future X-Men movies, uh, Dark Phoenix notwithstanding, which is going to suck, I think the ones in Disney will be amazing, and they'll, they're will they going to capture some kind of X-Men magic that we've all been dying for, thirsting for. All right, so The Lotus and the Steel, <laughs> I give it a 6 out of 6 adamantium claws. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, I give uh, I give it a 6 out of 6 adamantium claws as well. One for each claw. Yes. Um, 
uh, one what for each claw? One spangly light reflection, sparkly light reflection off his claws in the moonlight. All right. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's all we got. Uh, follow us on Facebook. Join the X Men Task Facebook group. I saw some new members join this week. That's always exciting. Yep. Hey, new people. Uh, hey, new people. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Willie Simpson. Uh, rate and review us five stars on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use. That goes a long way towards helping our visibility. Um, I just want to uh, thank the fans again. Uh, uh, you know, you guys have stayed loyal to us with the podcast, and we hope to have more fun episodes and things coming forward in the future, as always. And that's all I got. Sonia, any parting words? Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.